I'm going to take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians, ninth chapter in the 8th verse. The title of the message is Thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye all ways, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread of your food, and multiply your seed, sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything and all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God for the ministration of his service, only supplied the want of the saints, but it but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. Let's pray together, please. Our Heavenly Father, we do come before Thou throne of grace. We looked at this this morning for Your mercies to be upon us. We thank You how You always meet with us and how You presence of Christ has promised to us. If we gather in His name, we thank Thee for all Thy blessings. Pray Your mercies would be upon those without Christ, that You be pleased to save and Lord, in all things that you may be magnified and glorified in the services, and that we would be those lifting up thanksgiving unto thee. We thank thee in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. I believe last year I dealt with the holiday itself, Thanksgiving, and I want to look at this morning causing thanksgiving in others. When we think about the church service, one of the things the church service is for is causes praise and worship, and but part of that is thanksgiving. And we can look especially in the Psalms that <clears throat> when they speak about praising God and giving thanks for God, and, and David many times would say he would say these things in the congregation. And so when they gathered together to worship, that it was not only for praise and for worship and for instruction, but also for thanksgiving. And part of that thanksgiving, of course, was done in prayer, in song, and, and in, if you will, in attitude. Now, this passage here is talking about when they was gathering up uh, funds to send to the saints there in Jerusalem uh, that were under persecution at that time. There's a famine there and all the other problems they were having. And so uh, this is speaking of that in particular. It is not speaking about tithing. That's a thing altogether different, but this is an offering. And, uh, and we want to look at that this uh, morning. Uh, thanksgiving is the expression or content of gratitude, the red rendering of thanks or thanksgiving, be it ag. And Paul's writing in the book of the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and of the book of Revelation, it means thanksgiving, thanks, and the expression of gratitude to God. Uh, and that spirals what often interferes with our thanksgiving to God is greed. I mean, if we, if we, if God blesses us, and I've seen this, and you probably all have, if God blesses us, we tend to be thankful unless we find He's blessed somebody else greater. And then when we think about that, we forget about what He's done for us. We, if you will, we get jealous, envious, or whatever you want to call it, and, and then we, uh, if we don't get the praise for things that we do, our good works, uh, then we tend to be uh, less thanksgiving or giving of thanks unto God for what he's given us. 
Sometimes it will mention dissatisfaction. For the example, the principle of sowing and getting called sow to get, sow to get, then this is one of the modern teachings in many churches that you sow to get, so you can sow to get, so you can sow to get. And they're promising you with that a hundredfold. So really, it's out of greed, not out of gratitude. It's not out of, uh, if you will, desiring to please God. And it's not, uh, if you will, a working of faith. It's the ideal that I'm going to get richer each time I go through this process. So I get a, I get $100, and I take maybe $50 of that, and I give that. And then next time I get $5,000, and maybe I get uh, 1000 of that. And next time I'm up to, <clears throat> what would that be, uh, uh, up to a hundred thousand dollars, and so on and so forth, and and that's the ideal behind that. But God's giving system is just really, you know, as God directs you, Spirit directs, uh, <coughs> leads you, Father, in the giving of offerings. Now we know the tithe. We're not, and I say we're not preaching on that, but that's what we're obligated to give. But the rest of it is the, what we are free to give, or freely give. And so we look, God blesses us in our giving, and if God doesn't bless us in the giving, then something is wrong there, but it's not necessarily that you're going to get $1,000, put in 1000 get 100000 back. It's not necessarily so, but there are rewards laid up for us in glory that we have not seen, will not see till we get there, and then God, yes, takes care of us here. <clears throat> it, <clears throat> on, on the principle that God gives us, the Spirit, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, salvation, eternal life, home and glory, uh, and the love of God He sheds abroad in our hearts, these are things given to us in our salvation, which ca- should cause us to thank God every day. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> we get used to being saved. We get used to being that we we have eternal life. We get used to these things, and we're not near as thankful that, uh, as when we first were saved. And when we was first saved, just couldn't believe it. You know, just thanking God for this, that, and the other, and how Christ died for you. And, and nonetheless, though, is that we get used to it. Not, <clears throat> but it's just as important today as it was then. What should be our driving force if... If not love, love of God, love of saints, and love of our fellow man, then a lot of the things that people try to put uh, labels on or other labels is really our basis is love. And that we love God with our all. We love uh, the saints as Christ has loved us. And we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And on this principle, if you will, uh, we should be able to help our neighbor, help fellow saints, and and be faithful to God, and in all of that, have thanksgiving, and then others be thankful too, because uh, of what we've either done for them, or our good works that are presented in the world and among them. Calling a day of thanksgiving is not necessarily a biblical thanksgiving. It's only thanksgiving if we, and the center of thanksgiving is God. As Brother Glenn brought out earlier, if it's uh, if it's the Thanksgiving for uh, the God crop or the Sun God or something like that, that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And 
if it's just Thanksgiving because and look how wealthy I am and look what all I've done, my great wealth or whatever it is, that's not Thanksgiving to God. That is Thanksgiving to me. And uh, sometimes people say <clears throat> they weren't very thankful about that. And they're usually not talking about they didn't thank God. It meant that they didn't thank them. And let me say to you, if a principle for us to give is that they thank us, then we missed the whole mark. And you say, well, I don't know if they thank God or not. Well, that's between them and God. We're to be faithful what God's called us to do. And it noticed here in verse 12, it says, For the ministration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. And so it produces, and especially among the saints, but it also among those that they see that you do that because you're a Christian, because you're godly, then they'll thank God. And whether they, if you will, know God or not, they'll still be appreciative of what God has provided for them. And we might thank God for our country, workplace, finances, friends, and family. So it comes down to who are you praising for what you have. Sometimes people praise their job, their companies they work for, and, and this, that, and the other, and instead of God is the one given that position. And our passage, Thanksgiving, is for the ability to give and share God's provisions with others that it gives way to their Thanksgiving. We know that in this chapter, and we mentioned, is giving to the needy saints in Jerusalem. And, and we have the give is based upon on what we have and not on what we hope to have. And a lot of churches, including Baptists, have these pledge deals and they insinuate don't pledge to what you think you can give because pledge on how God's going to bless you. And so the ideal is, well, you, this is not due until next year. So you can pledge now, and you know God's going to bless you in between, and so on and so forth. That's not the kind of pledge this was in Second Corinthians. It's based upon what you have and not what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. And some of these places will done you. I mean, I actually send you a done in the mail that... You know, you didn't meet your pledge. God gives all sufficiency by grace. In verse 8, God grants grace, gifts, and we abound, if you will, in all that He's done to us and given to us and how He's blessed us and given us wisdom and knowledge in His Word. Then we can sing praises unto God and, and He's promised having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good works. So God will give us everything we need to do what we need. To do <clears throat> the grace is is uh, God is given is us have all sufficiency and may abound to every good work in and like the definition which Bedag uses have enough for everything have enough of everything that is have enough to do with what God is leading you to do having all sufficiency is <clears throat> if you will having enough of everything. And if you say, well, I think I ought to do this, that, and the other, if you don't have sufficiency for that, either you're outside the will of the Lord and what you're doing, or, if you will, that 
you had looked to God for supply. But God gives you sufficiency that you may be able to do all that he's called you to do. Enough of everything to do every good work. There in Acts 9.36. In Acts 9.36. And it says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. And now she was uh, she was in the community. She helped the widows, and and uh, we assume orphans. All it just says widows, and and helped them out and made clothing for them. In verse forty one, it's and he gave his forty one, and he gave his and gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when. He, he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she had died, and Simon Peter was nearby. They called him, and, and God gave him the grace to lift her up, and God healed her. And we noticed that there was a great praising, and if you will, many believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because of the deeds that was done there. You said, we can't do that kind of thing. When people see your kindness, when people see your kindness, <clears throat> you'll draw them to Christ. If they can't see the kindness of Christ in us, you won't draw hardly anybody. You know, the old saying is you get more flies with honey than you do vinegar. And, uh, and, and the ideal is there is that uh, if we're trying to gain, if we're trying to uh, meet, uh, that people meet the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not beating them over the head with the Bible. We're opening the Bible up and showing them the honey of it, showing the blessings of it, what God is providing for those that believe on Him. And she was clearly acting in the name of the Lord, and the souls were saved at that time. Our good works in His name should glorify God. First Peter 2.12 Having your conversation honest among Gentiles, that Whereas they speak evil against you as an evildoer, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, not only did Jesus have his distractors, but the apostles had their distractors, and, and the Christianity had their distractors. And, and, and what he is saying here, that, that we'll dispel a lot of things that people if you will, disbelieve or count against Christian by our good works. There's a group that goes around, I'll not mention them, and their ties and, and doing mission work, and they'll knock on the door, and I've heard people say, well, they're such polite men. They were such nice people. They weren't argumentative. And they would say all these wonderful things about this cult. <clears throat> and a Baptist come by, you know, and they say, well... You know, they, they was argumentative, and sometimes we are, and and they were sometimes we're not polite, and uh, we need to use good works, if you will. We're present, we're presenting Jesus Christ. We're not presenting George Kelly or the Philadelphia Baptist Church. We're presenting Jesus Christ, and we should do so in a godly manner. God works, revealing the works of Christ in us. Hebrew thirteen twenty and twenty one. Now the God of peace that brought 
again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Some refer to good works as what is a moral work or duty. It's either a benefit of kindness. Well-doing is a virtue. It is not something, well... I guess I'm going to have to go out and do something, preach something. I ought to do some good work today. A good work that's not done from the heart is not a good work. A good work that doesn't bring glory to God is not a good work. Whether they are distractors like there was with Jesus when he healed this man, and there's Brother Terry was speaking of, they healed him, and, and they was praising God on one hand that he was healed, and then they was, on the other hand, they was rejecting Jesus Christ and saying evil things about him, but the evil things they spoke about him <clears throat> was not because Jesus done anything bad. Not because Jesus done anything evil other than declare that he is the Son of God, which he was and is. And so when he did the good work there, they couldn't deny that it was a good work. When Simon Peter and them was in the gate, at the gate beautiful, and this man leaped up and run into the temple and shouting, praising God. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes was trying to find something that they could say this really wasn't a miracle, but there are too many people seen it. And this guy had been there for years and years sitting at the beautiful gate, gathering alms, if you will. And so they knew they couldn't say, well, he's a... He was from ten buck two, and they brought him here, and he really wasn't sick to begin with. No, he's, he was there. And at the end, all they can do with the Pharisees said, don't preach, or the, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, really, it was a group of them, and don't preach in his name anymore. Don't talk about him, or don't use his name. That's all they couldn't say. The miracle didn't happen because it did. They couldn't say the devil did it because... That was against Jewish teaching. <clears throat> that it's God that does miracles and God that brings forth these things. And so they were in a pickle. All they could do is just whip them and beat them and send them out. Some refer to good works, as we mentioned. <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, and they're speaking about a particular thing that is a good work. Now we could say, well, giving alms is a good work. We can say studying the Word of God is a good work. Spreading the Gospel is a good work. And so these things, in one sense, are a duty. The ideal of work is something you do because you're supposed to do it. It's like going to work. You go there because you're supposed to be there, and you're supposed to do certain things while you're there, and so it is a work. It is something that we do. The works that we do is motivated by Jesus Christ. Spirit of God in us, if you will, leads us and guide us in the work. But you can't sit on your couch and usually do good works. You can't, if you will, <clears throat> not go somewhere or do something or talk to somebody on the phone or text or do something <clears throat> and call it a good work. It is something that put forth effort. It is a work, a good work. <clears throat> 
Good work, praising God, witnessing, studying God's word, worshiping, singing. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so this is not just one portion of the scripture. We could go back from Genesis on. The underlying <coughs> is that we do good works, not bad works. And we do things that glorify God and would cause others or lead others to praise God also. We are to thank God for the sufficiency He gives us uh, to do good works. There in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians 2 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness through, <coughs> toward us through Jesus Christ Jesus. For, great, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, <coughs> which God has foreordained that we should walk in them. So just like when you go to work, they say, here's your assignment. This is what we want you to do today. Or it might be a job where you go in, you already know what your duty is that day. <clears throat> but we are provoked one another to love and good works. Encourage one another to do those things that are pleasing in God's sight that brings honor and glory unto Him and thereby brings praise unto God. And if we... If you have any good works, it is because he ordained them that he, for the foundation of the world that you walk in them. Somebody say, I just can't find, preacher, uh, something, you know, something to do. Well, God ordained it from the foundation of the world that he was going to walk in good works. He's going to give you the good works to walk in. He's going to provide you sufficiency to do whatever it is he's called you to do. He's going to give you the ability to do whatever it is that He's ordained you to do, and you're supposed to be compliant to Almighty God and do what He's called you to do. And somebody said, well, I've been sitting around trying to think about what good works God would have me to do. We're supposed to be up about the Father's business. We are supposed to be up about God's business and do the things that God's called us to do. And if you will, if we... if if we're in Christ Jesus, then we have good works that God's given us to do. You say, well, I can't do this or that, and <laughs> just like uh, I can't build a road, you know, but I can, I can spread gravel. <clears throat> and the point I'm making is we might not be able to do certain things because God hadn't given us that ability. If he hadn't given you the ability to do it, then he, if you will, that's not what, he, what you're in the wrong place. Because God gives sufficiency, he gives us the ability, he gives us the desire, and we are to walk therein. And sometime, because we get backslidden or uh, go in the wrong direction, uh, we don't hear the still small voice that's speaking to us to go to the left hand or to right or straight ahead. We thank God for the provision to disperse abroad. Back in our in Second Corinthians uh, verses nine and ten, <clears throat> the ninth chapter nine and ten, as it written, he has <clears throat> dispersed abroad, 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread of your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Not only does God give us the ability, the sufficiency of the things that we do, but as we go out by, uh, if you will, uh, <coughs> sowing seed, God blesses that seed that it brings forth a crop, and then we abound in more righteousness, if you will, godliness, as we go about the, the, <coughs> the Father's business, we get more proficient at doing it than we was if you was before we started. It's like any job. If you start out in a job, it requires some technical knowledge or something you've got to do with your hands that uh, after you've done it a while, you get a lot more proficient at it than when you started. And when we do the things God's called us to do, then we become more proficient in it. And we understand better how to accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish and how much better to understand the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, I don't know what this, this, that, and the other. It's quite evident then by their own mouth that they don't see the leadership of God in their life. And God leads us, directs us, and guides us into that thing. Some people say, well, it's by happen chance. Well, sometime it is. Sometime you just happen chance to fall upon a place where God has provided for you to do a good work. But nonetheless, whether God leads us directly and knowing the good work is, is, that, that he has for us to do, or we just happen upon it. Just like somebody with a blown out tire on the side of the road, you just happen upon that. <clears throat> and, and we're to do those things that is pleasing in God's sight. If you have seed to sow, then it's and sow to the glory of God. <clears throat> and look to him for the increase. Now you say, what kind of increase are we looking for? Well, sometime you sow seed and there's no increase <clears throat> to us. Sometimes we can't see it. Now, I'm not saying there's not an increase that God, that God <clears throat> hasn't given us because we have store up our treasures in glory, but sometimes we don't see the increase here. If people give to get, they say, well, sow your seed, and they give to get, then the motive is more to get than it is to give, usually. And if God doesn't lead us in it, then we're in the wrong territory. Sometimes people make pledges to give to things that are anti-God, and though they call themselves Christian, I got caught up in one of those things one time in my youth, and I'm talking about in spiritual youth, and and then I made a pledge. You know, I've one of those that drawn in, and I really had to struggle with sending it in or sending it not, because I mean I found out what they were, but I did give my word to give it. And so that taught me a lesson: study things out and find out what's behind it before you give. And so sometimes when we're speaking of building His church. For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we're about to be about the business of building a church. And somebody said, well, look at the building we got, preacher. We don't need anything else. That's not what the church is. This is just a building. 
<clears throat> this church has met in, I think, a storefront before, and, and uh, it was a storefront. But when the church came in, it was a church. Yeah. It's the same with this building, even though it's dedicated to the worship of God. <clears throat> it is a building. It's not a church until the church is inside. Gathered together for, to worship God and the things that God's called us to do. So then it's a church. As soon as we leave, the church is gone. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there shall I be in the midst of them. And, and speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, it didn't make any difference whether it's in somebody's home. They could be under a tree. They could be in a dedicated building. They could be anywhere and everywhere, but as long as those people were gathered together in Jesus' name, then He was in the midst of them. But when we leave, that, that presence is no longer there. And that's the difference between a sanctuary and an auditorium. Sanctuary, and God's there all the time. It's like the Holy of Holies. Sanctified. Somebody said, well, it just means Sanctified. Uh, but if you know where it comes from and the people that use it, then you know that means where the presence of God is. And <clears throat> when I was a kid, people would run, drive across the, about in front of this particular church and they make a sign as they go by because the host was on, the, I guess, the pulpit area. And so if the light was lit and, and they knew it, then they'd make a sign as they drove by because that was a sanctuary. It had Christ in it, according to them, in that uh, wafers and wine. <clears throat> if they never gathered in Jesus' name, he never was in that building. Right. Never. If they didn't gather together, according as God has called us together, no matter how quiet they were, how reverent they were in that house, if they don't gather in his name, then he never was there. And they can say, well, we got the host here, you know, and they go on and on and on. And the point I'm making is, is just because somebody calls something, something don't mean that it is. We are to be laborers together for God. The parable of the sower, the good ground, brings forth a crop, 30, 60, and even 100-fold. But how do you find the good ground? I mean, we read in this, and it goes through that where the seed, you know, fell on this, and fell on that, and fell on this, and they didn't prosper. But it fell on the good ground, and it prospered. And usually we tell people to go out and <coughs> sow and get 30, 60, 100 fold. But if you, walk, if you go out here on this uh, blacktop road or parking lot, and you cast a wheat seed, and oat seed, and whatever kind of seed you can want or think of. And you come back next week, it's going to be a parking lot with a bunch of seeds on it. And they're not going to do anything but rot. They won't accomplish anything, as far as you can tell, other than just making a mess. Now, some of it might blow out and cause some growth in the field around about us, but... When you, when you sow on a road or highway, you're not going to get much crop there. <clears throat> and so the point I'm making is, uh, 
One of the ways you know where you're sowing is what kind of what you're reaping. <clears throat> it's some you know the flash in the pan is the third sowing. You know they're the ones that uh, come in and man they're on fire for God and three months later they're gone. You never hear from them again and no other church does either. And so the cares of the world, the riches of the world, drives them away. And they're the ones that really love the health, wealth, gospel. Really love it. Because what they're in love with is wealth. And I yes, I'd like to have some health. But, <clears throat> but most of them are looking for wealth. And this it appeals to them that here we can have this health and wealth. And, you know, I'll even have a hundredfold and next year I'll be much richer than I am this. A few insights from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt shall find it after many days. Give a portion seven, also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth? Verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Verse 6. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper. Either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. So how can you sow on the good ground? Well, Solomon, as led the Spirit, says seven or eight. What are they talking about? Well, you put out a crop. Well, the sun was too hot and the rain didn't rain and so on and so forth. So you cast you out. And, of course, the casting on the water is like the Nile River. And <clears throat> we're not going to get into all the uh, about casting and the Nile River coming up and all this, that, and the other. But what he's saying is that you have so many times. He says, you sow in the morning and it might not make a crop. You sow in the evening and you can get a crop. So the only way you can find the good ground is sow a lot of seed. That's the only way you can get it. And if you say, well, it's too cloudy and I'm not going to sow or reap or whatever. I think it was reaping there. But if you say, I'm not going to sow because of this condition. It talks about the sluggers there in Proverbs. They don't go to work because there's a line in the street. You say, well, if there's a line in the street, then they, you know, have to be careful. Well, it's like saying, I don't think I'll go to work today because I think there might be an accident out on the highway. What they're saying is, there's always an excuse for not going to work. And when we observe times and things like that, decide when it's a good time to sow, then we won't sow at all. And if we don't sow at all, then we'll not reap anything whatsoever. And we are to give uh, from what we have and not from what we have not. There in 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For there be first a willing mind and is accepted according to that a man hath. And not according to that he hath not. <clears throat> Why would the Bible even talk about it? Well, it starts out in the 8th chapter. If you're familiar with this, 
on into the ninth chapter about this giving for the saints at Jerusalem. And the eighth chapter is how that these poor people had supported Paul all these years, and they had sent an offering. And of course, what he's leading up to is you Corinthians, you're wealthy, you should, if you will, gather together before I come. And he says gather on the first day of the week. Some call faith giving the promise to give more than you have, depending on God to meet your pledge. The Bible says you give according to what you have and not according to what you have not. You can't promise make a, a promise on something that you don't have, can't see to have, or don't know whether you're going to have. Sometime uh, somebody will say, well, if the crop comes in, I'll do this or that. And what they're basing on, what I have. Instead of saying, well, this crop is going to make a $100,000, well, I can give 10000 of that, so I place 10000 Well, you don't know where the crop's going to come in. It's dependent, and this is what the Scripture is speaking about. And you, just because somebody else, they say, well, so-and-so here, and he's gave $2,000. Well, maybe he's got $2,000 to give. If you don't have but two cents, if all you have is a widow's mite, then that's what you're to give. You can't give what you don't have. Things we give says something, but we are res- that we are responsible unto God <clears throat> for our good works with you, if you will, and our good works. There in First Timothy five eight. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. <clears throat> He has denied the faith is worse than the infidel. Now I've heard preachers in different ones, churches, bragging on somebody who was taking the food out of their family's mouth and giving it to somebody else. That's not God's word. You're to take care of your home. You can't give what belongs to your family. You can't say, well, we can just starve. Uh, we're going to starve five days this week and we're going to give all that and, and a lot of churches do this. But the Bible don't teach it. If you don't support your own family, then it says you're worse than an infidel. I don't know how plainer that God's Word could get. Tithes come first and when providing, then providing for a household <coughs> and then we give to others as God gives us stability. When we have enough for our family, we should praise God. Thanksgiving, if you will, for those things He provides forth, His provision. But let me say to you, when you deny your family, you're going to cause your family to be angry or mad at God. Or you. And a lot of times, I've seen this in mission reports and different things, and I think to myself, won't they read the Bible? And we... <coughs> We're to do what God has given to God's way, and then if it's in God's way, then we'll have sufficiency. And if there's no sufficiency, then there's something wrong. Either we're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, or we're in sin. And because of that sin, God's withholding the blessing from you, which causes you to hold a blessing from others, and you need to, if, if you will, you need to get right with God.
Yes, we are responsible for our using God's provisions as led of the Holy Spirit cautiously. <clears throat> we are responsibly, joyously, with thanksgiving. When we have that sufficient to give, all, uh, to give out, then it should cause us to break out in thanksgiving also. Matthew 6, 3, But when thou dost arm, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Don't sound the trumpet. Don't go around bragging and look what I give. I, <clears throat> yeah, well, he's able to increase our giving this year. And last year we only gave uh, 2000 This year we're giving 15000 They have their reward right there. It glorifies God, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12. When we do God's, God's way, then it gives thanksgiving to God as mentioned in 11 and 12. He said, which causes through us thanksgiving to God for the ministration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but it abundant is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. So when we talk about the song, I put in there, count your blessing, many blessings, and say, says in part, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessing, see what God hath done. I, I think it's a good thing to count your blessings and realize what God has done. Because sometimes, as I mentioned before, we take things for granted. In Psalms 40, though, in verse 5, many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to, uh, to, excuse me, to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, the psalmist knew that God blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. And he says it's without number. In other words, he couldn't number them up. He couldn't say there's, God's blessed me with 652 blessings. Or some, sometimes you talk to some people, they say, well, God's gave me four blessings. I mean, that's kind of the way the attitude is. A few of the blessings God given us, Jesus his salvation, Jesus Christ, His blood, justification, sanctification, <clears throat> new Jerusalem, eternity, see Him face to face, and all these should provoke in us thanksgiving, and not only thanksgiving, but of other things. Each one, if we think about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and counting, my, counting His righteousness for my righteousness, that provokes a whole other line of thought and thanksgiving of what God has done for us. We think about <clears throat> that he is eternal and creator and incarnate, born of a virgin, sinless life to provide for me the things that I am void of. Each one of those should provoke in us more thoughts that we can be thankful for what Jesus done for us. And if you take one, each one individually and you start spreading those out, they come an innumerable number of things that God has done for us. How often do we declare to others his blessings? They're in Psalms 71. Psalm 71 to 14. But I will hope continually 
and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. For I know not the number thereof. I will go in strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thy only. O God, that has taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old, gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto the generation and thy power to every one that is to come. So, again, we see uh, Thanksgiving in the congregation. We also see the different and all the Thanksgiving that we should give God, the many different things that God has done for us and, uh, and how he has blessed us. I was looking here and we ought to, and has blessed us in verse 22 of that same text. I will also praise thee with the Psalms 3, and even thy truth, O my God, unto thee will I, will I sing with the harp, O thou Holy One of Israel, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought, brought to shame that seek my hurt. And, and the point I'm making is that he found that he could praise God all the day long. Not just, you know, I got these 15 things or five things or two things when it comes to church, I want to praise God. It is that which we can praise God all the day long. How we can prayer the saints of old. Shall we read Hebrews 11 and eight saints in the Word of God and how they praised God and how God blessed them? And sometimes they were hidden blessings that we talked about on our Wednesday nights that God had blessed them, their shoes didn't wear out and that type of thing, arraignment. And they didn't even know God blessed them until Moses pointed it out. And the point, there's many blessings like that in our lives. And we give, and we're giving in just one way. Uh, we praise Him even as Jacob promised to, to tithe, you know, if God brought him back there and kept His promises. We are to be those that are faithful to God. <clears throat> the thing about the plague of many is thoughtlessness, no meditation on God's word or God, no meditation on God's blessings to usward, no seed to sow. Look to the Lord of the harvest. Do you have seed to sow? You can't sow a crop unless you've got something to sow. And the way you learn how to sow is you've got to learn what to sow, what is, if you will, the seed of the gospel. 